When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Oh, it's fare thee well, my darling true. I'm leaving in the first hour of the morn. I'm bound off for the Bay of Mexico or maybe the coast of California. So it's fare thee well, my own true love. We'll meet another day, another time. It ain't the leaving that's a grieving me, but my true love who's bound to stay behind. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining me this week to talk about Farewell, one of the legendary Whitmark demos, is fellow Bobcat, Julia. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, as I said off air, like we've been conversing on Dylan Twitter for a while now, so it's always great to finally hear your voice. I mean, you're familiar with mine, uh, but it's <laughs> nice to be able to talk to you back and forth. So thank you again for being here. Mm-hmm. So like I said, we're going to be talking about Farewell, which is a 1963 composition. It's a song that uh, never made it to any official album, sort of. And again, we'll, we'll get into all that uh, in a bit. But of course, Julia, I have to ask you, how'd you become a fan of Bob? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I got to Bob Dylan relatively recently, about three years ago in my junior year of high school. And um, I got into him in kind of an unusual way. Like, I obviously always knew who he was because he's Bob Dylan. Um, but I knew him in mostly a historical context. I knew his songs like Blowing in the Wind, Times They Are Changing. I don't even think I knew like a Rolling Stone. But um, I did know that he was from Minnesota and I also am from Minnesota. So I took great pride in that. And um, um, so I always kind of had a soft spot for him before I knew anything about him. But um, yeah, one day I was just scrolling through social media randomly and I got an ad for a concert he was doing down in Mankato. And I told my friend, I said, you know, this would be so cool if we could go. Bob Dylan, he's Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um in my head, I thought it would give me some some kind of bragging rights, which, you know, in hindsight, I don't know how how cool that would have made me in the eyes of people my age, but in my head, it was it was really cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I kind of enlisted my friend who dropped out somewhere along the way, but I was firmly committed to this idea of going to this concert, and I roped my dad into it. Um, but yeah, I just thought, you know, I should probably listen to his music if I'm going to go to this concert, and I um, start with the hits. My friend's dad donated a couple um, records that he had lying around for me to listen to. Um, I think it was John Wesley Harding, Dylan, 1973. Um, what Desire. A place, what a place and, to start. And Slow Train Coming, which um, I wouldn't say is your um, introductory Bob Dylan albums. <laughs> no, not particularly. But, um, you know, but it was kind of... I obviously felt very connected to it. And then as I started listening to like his more famous albums, I obviously loved that stuff too. So it was just kind of, um, I just kind of started falling in love with it really. And then, you know, sure enough, I went to the concert, the concert came um, and it was incredible. I had been to concerts before, but I had never been quite so transfixed by an artist. I had never really been so deeply touched by what he was um, performing and you know like I said my dad was with me and he was scoffing because he looked over and I just had tears down my face <laughs> yeah um but yeah we the concert was amazing it was 
it was great. And then I, you know, I left the concert, I came back home and I kept listening. I eventually got into the, the deeper and deeper cuts. I read the books, watched the movies. And for the past three years, it's just been a constant journey of like learning more about him, meeting people my age who, my age and not my age, who um, share this passion for his music. And um, yeah, it's just been, I quickly realized that it was kind of my thing. <laughs> and um, I've just been really firmly committed to that ever since. Um, but yeah. Wow. Uh, all right. Jeez, I have so much to ask you about in, the, in what you just <laughs> told me. Let's start with, with, with Minnesota. Like how far away from where he was from, with Hibbing, is from, is from where you grew up. Is that like Minnesota is pretty big, right? So, I mean, you don't, yeah. it's, it's not like you can necessarily have any connection with that. Are you, were you far away from where he grew up? Um, yeah, he grew up obviously way, way Northern Minnesota. I grew up closer to the cities to Minneapolis. Got so you. I, okay. but I went to Duluth like growing up for vacations and stuff in the summer. But, um, but I was really intrigued when I found out he, um, spent some time in Minneapolis and, Dinky Town, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite areas to go to with my friends. So I was very, very intrigued, and I made my friends go on like a little, like sightseeing tour of all the the Dylan spots in Minneapolis. Oh, I was about to ask you, did you do that? Okay, okay. Yeah, it was very geeky, but I I had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's terrific. I mean, does a lot of is is that stuff? I know some of the stuff out there is like designated, like there's plaques and stuff, but like, mm-hmm. is there a lot of the stuff out there that's like, Oh, Bob Dylan was here. Bob Dylan did this, or do you have to kind of like know where to look? Um, yeah, there's, it's kind of both. Like there's one restaurant where they're casually just like, Oh yeah. Bob Dylan used to live above this restaurant. And it's very oh, cool. This restaurant in Dinky town. And then other stuff, it's just like, Oh yeah. He used to perform here or he went here once or he recorded blood on the tracks here. It was, it's it's a mixture of stuff. You have to look for some of it. Some of it is just like in your face. Bob Dylan was here. Right. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. So, okay. So when you went to see him live, uh, did you have any preparation about for about what you were about to hear? Because we've, again, we've talked about, you know, across the episode, some people are not necessarily knowing what they're going to, they're, they're, what they're expecting is not at all what they're going to get. Um, I had kind of looked into it a bit. I hadn't really dope some people are very very like um they follow along his performances and they can um like pinpoint certain dates and stuff i was not like that i was like he's he he tours a lot he does a lot of shows um but i i kind of knew that he had changed his sound quite a bit so i didn't go in expecting the most faithful renditions of his songs from the albums <laughs> but um I so I knew it'd be quite different. I didn't really think I would be as affected by it as I was, but in a way, the new I was more the new mixes of these songs I was more impacted by because it just worked really well for a live performance. So I was pleasantly surprised. I don't know how people were pleasantly surprised, but I certainly was. Well, your dad obviously was not. Uh, but (laughs) my dad, he I he raised me on a lot of older music, but. Um, strangely enough, Bob Dylan was one of his blind spots. So he was, I remember him, t- <laughs> I, he was looking at his phone at one point in the concert and I saw him texting my brother for 
the score of a game he was missing to go with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I, was, uh, I can't blame him. It was nice and it's nice for him to take you. You know, I mean, it's a two hour plus event, so uh, yeah. Yeah, very nice of him to do. So, I, if if you can explain it, I mean, I, and again, I don't mean to to like peer uh, too 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 much into your into your psyche there, but like, what was it about? <laughs> what was it about the show that was so transfixing? If you can, if, if, I mean, I know sometimes that might be hard to, to you know, put into words exactly, but what was it just being in the room with him? Or what was it that made it just so overwhelming? You know, it's sounds very cheesy to say, but like when I was in the room with him, I could just, there was like this enormous sense of history where you could just mm. tell that you were witnessing this living legend who had, had so many, um, so many important albums to the history of music and just, I mean, history in general. And it was just something about his presence. It was just very clear that this was not just a singer. It was Bob Dylan. And I was just very aware of like how this is so cheesy, (laughs) how lucky I was to be alive at the same time as Bob Dylan. Oh, I don't think that's, I don't think that's cheesy at all. I (laughs) I, I think that's marvelous. I can remember uh, years ago, but I think during the Time Out of Mind tour when he was doing, you know, not that it was called that, but you know, right around then. And mm-hmm. I remembered seeing people about my age with uh, those who had like little kids. And one guy had like a little kid on his shoulders. The kid probably Aww. was like four or five, <laughs> right? And I'm like, well, this kid's not getting anything out of this. He's five, you know, he doesn't understand. This is just a racket. But I, you know, at some point when Bob Dylan does enter into history, uh, he'll be able to tell his son, you were like when that, the, the legend of Bob Dylan is only going to grow exponentially after mm-hmm. he's gone. It's just going to be, he's going to become one of these towering figures of popular culture. And that kid will be able to say, well, long after a lot of his friends are older and they'll be like, Oh, I didn't know. I, I would ever seen Bob Dylan. He's been gone a long time. He'll be able to say, you know what? I was there when I was five. Yeah. You know, you it's, know, like, it's like seeing of- the Beatles or something when you were in like 1966. Yeah, no, that was kind of my thought process, too, with the whole bragging rights thing. You know, in the moment, I don't know how many people cared, but maybe 30 years down, I would be able to say, I saw Bob Dylan, which yeah. was my thought process. <laughs> now, has that been the only time you've seen him? No, I saw him this, it was, I've seen him twice. I saw him this past leg of the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour. Oh, okay. In okay. December at, um, in D.C., and it was, um, I... It was even better somehow. It improved upon <laughs> the first experience. Wow! And it was it was incredible. Yeah. How close were you to the stage? Either one of those times. Um, the first time I went, I was kind of. It was a smaller venue, obviously, but um, I was kind of in the stands, not the closest seats, but it really made no difference to me. The mm. second time, I made a conscious effort to get closer because. I wanted to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was on the floor, maybe about 10 rows back. So relatively close. That's good. Yeah. It makes a difference. I find it makes a difference to be able to see him so clearly because he is not super demonstrative. You know, <laughs> he's not, yeah. he's just kind of standing there. And if you're really far away, he's just this little figure that doesn't move a whole lot. But then when you're up <laughs> close, you know, you can see him smile. You could see him you know, whatever, look around for whatever he's looking for, whatever. I always find it makes a little bit of a, of a difference. Well, that's, that's marvelous. No. So friends, your age, you talked about finding other people, your own age that like him. Has that been 
easy to do? Is Are there a lot of people that you'd be able to run into and make that connection? I'm sure with social media, it's a little easier. Yeah, I mean, the bulk of them came from social media. People that kind of felt similarly as me, they really loved this music, but they couldn't really find people they were just discussed it with. So social media helped a lot. But as far as people in real life, I think it's gotten better, but that is only because I have subject them to so much Bob Dylan listening. (laughs) (laughs) So in the cars, whenever, whenever I'm given the opportunity, I'm just like, I'm always playing Bob Dylan, but some of them have grown to be fans of him. So it's gotten better, but it's not for lack of trying. (laughs) (laughs) So now you, you mentioned the, the first round of albums that you, that you got lent a desire, but again, the Dylan album, that what a weird place to start. (laughs) Um, when you when you went out, and I asked this just on the, the previous show I just did with, with a new guest, but where did you choose to start after that? Because there's so much of it. Uh, it's um, kind of sometimes it can be hard to know where to, to begin. Yeah, I had like a really, it wasn't a linear listening process at all, because obviously with those albums I started with. But I never, I jumped like right into his early 60s music and some of his 80s albums, because since I listened to you know, his more critically panned albums first. I was like, and I like them. I was thinking, what is wrong with you guys? This stuff is great. Why, why, why doesn't anybody like this? So I listened to um, some of his 80s albums. I listened to his Christian trilogy. <laughs> that was one of the first ones I listened to, along with um, Bob Dylan, his 1962 album, and um, uh, Free Will and Bob Dylan. I don't know why. But those those two very distinct eras, two very different eras, I was just very, very in love with. And it wasn't until later that I, um, that I listened to the Electric Trilogy and really was like, okay, this is why they're the best. Because I had viewed it all on such a level, level playing field, really. Mm-hmm. That's, I get, you picked a great time, too, because you said it's in the last three years. I mean, he happens to just put out one of his best records right when you were getting all into it. I mean, that's, I that's great I timing. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> I remember saying to my friends, I was like, I can't believe I'm alive for a Bob Dylan album release that I'm staying up <laughs> until midnight to listen to this. I never, it never really dawned on me that was a possibility, but it was very <laughs> exciting to be able to experience what some of the older fans had been um, lucky enough to experience many times. Yeah, I've had a couple and and it's always a great experience. And then when I, you know, sort of dawned on me, I'm like, God, we haven't had a, we had, we, you know, there were the Sinatra records. It's a little different. Yeah. But I mean, when it was like, man, we're at, we're at seven years since the last one. I'm like, oh, Lordy, Lordy, you know, come on, man. What are you doing? I mean, geez. Uh, so, well, that's, that's, that's just fantastic. That's just a great story of discovery i mean that's just that it's all out there uh for people for new people to enjoy i mean i'm sure that bob himself would want to hear that you know what i mean like he talked about that Mm -hmm. and um uh well he didn't say it directly but it it was there was an interview with jim dickinson who played on time out of mind and he said that he was talking to bob about it and he said that it was in the 90s when he started seeing younger people come to his concerts and he realized he he felt like uh uh, you know, newer, newer fans needed newer songs. Mm-hmm. So we started, you know, that sort of inspired him. And that's so I'm sure he's got to be thrilled to be looking out in the crowd and seeing people your age uh, going nuts over it. That's just got to be very rewarding for him. So that's, that's just super. Mm-hmm. 
So, all right. Uh, that said, I am very curious about your your, your song choice uh, <laughs> than we were. Again, not that this is uh, a bad song. This is actually a terrific song, but it's definitely, you know, on the obscure side. In fact, again, just the previous mm-hmm. episode, we talked about Eternal Circle, which is a, an obscure song. And now we're talking about another one from around that same time, Farewell, which was written early in 1963, and then uh, he kind of kept dabbling with it. He, he worked on it um, at one of the Time Zero Changing Sessions. And then he finally rewrote it, um, apparently relatively extensively. I don't, I've never heard those earlier versions. But then rewrote it and demoed it at the Whitmark Sessions. And that's the version that got released on the Bootleg series, which was the, uh, the Whitmark demos. And that's the version that I had as a bootleg for many years. So of all the songs to, to talk about, Julia, why, why this one? <laughs> Um, well, it's kind of for sentimental reasons, because before I ever got into Bob Dylan, um, like five years ago-ish, I saw the movie Inside Lewin Davis, and mm-hmm. this song is used at the end of it. Right. And I, you know, again, I didn't know anything about Bob Dylan, but I really, really loved this song. And it didn't really dawn on me until when I started getting into him later that it was a Bob Dylan song. But I just, it was, to put it simply, it was the first Bob Dylan song that I really loved. So I don't know what it is about it, but I've always been very drawn to it. So I thought that it was a natural song to come on and talk about. Okay, fair enough. Um, one of the things that I like about it, um, other than it's just, I think it's just a pretty melody, is that it's a, you know, so much of a lot of the, you know, best Dylan songs, some of them can be very sweet and some of them can be very sour. Um, but this one, I like how, gentle it is and um that it's so we don't we don't you know we don't we don't know the person that he's talking about really uh but we're you know we're sort of caught up in this story that this guy is telling about you know i'm gonna be heading my way out and i'm gonna miss this person and there's just such a wonderful um Mm -hmm. sense of longing to it that i just think it is really really quite beautiful i said i quoted the, the the first verse and then it continues on Oh, the weather is against me and the wind blows hard and the rain, she's a turning into hail. I still might strike it lucky on a highway going west, though I'm traveling on a path beaten trail. So it's fairly well. My own true love will meet another day, another time. It ain't the leaving that's a grieving me, but my true love that's bound to stay behind. Now, once again, you know, Dylan loves this old timey language. You know, uh, he was 20 going on 50. <laughs> and then he, when he turned 50, he's going on 80. And now that he's 80, he's like going on 120, essentially. <laughs> he's just kind of this old guy. Um, but I mean, what is it? Is it, is it? What do you think about this old-timey language? I mean, it's for someone who is one of the youngest Dylan fans that I've ever had on the show, what, was there something about the language that particularly struck you? Um, yeah, I always just thought the song was very, very timeless. It's one of those songs that could have been... Um, you know, written now or could have been written 300 years ago because it never really, um, never really loses like the sense of what he's talking about and just always felt very, that sense of like melancholy almost in the song and kind of holiness almost. It never really loses its, um, its relevance in my eyes at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I said it's, it's it, it, this person um, that we, again, that he's singing about, we don't really get any, inkling of who they are it's all his reaction about that he's leaving them behind uh where was it used in in Llewellyn Davis I'm trying to remember I saw that movie but it's been a little while um well spoilers I guess um it was used at the very the very ending scene he 
um, Lewin Davis, he sees, he's at the, the club and this new act comes on and, you know, you see the silhouette, very recognizable silhouette mm-hmm. of Bob Dylan. And he, um, Lewin gets dragged up to the alley. It's the final scene. And then the credits oh, start. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I always just thought it was used very well. <laughs> it's a real, that's, that movie, man. That's a bummer of a movie. <laughs> oh my, I, my mom had to, <laughs> I forced my mom to watch with me and I had to apologize to her because she, the movie ended and she was just like, that was sad. I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Cohen Brothers, another more Minnesotan, so I always had to support <laughs> that. Oh, okay. Now I didn't even think about that, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when, when Dylan, that's right, now that you mentioned it, now that when Dylan comes in at the end of that, and uh, as you say, spoiler alert, like you just know that all of the travails that Luella Davis has been put through, all of his efforts are going mm-hmm. to come to naught because yeah. <laughs> this new guy is going to show up and just obliterate the place. I know. It's it was just, oh. yeah, it was so melancholy. Like I keep using the word melancholic. That's really how I feel about this song. Just like, you know, you see all these, the trials and tribulations that this character went through only to just become this minor footnote in the history of this giant. Oh, it's, it's, it, it's such a weird, uh, wonderfully weird way uh, for that movie to end. And that, of course, you know, again, not to turn this into the inside of the Will and David episode <laughs> of the Bob Dylan, but you know, how many movies you were going to see that end with, with the concluding act being Bob Dylan showing up. There's not, yeah. <laughs> there's not that many movies. <laughs> I mean, you could argue more movies should have that, but they don't, but I mean, like you're Llewellyn Davis is not like a, super cuddly guy uh you know uh mm-hmm. even though he's charmingly played by uh oscar isaac uh oscar isaac is always charming but like <laughs> at the same time he's our protagonist mm-hmm. and you're 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 kind of rooting for him on some level yeah. and then just like the fates are just so against him and then of course as a dylan fan you're so thrilled to have bob dylan show up in your movie but you also know also know that to this guy's life and his lifestyle it is the harbinger of doom. Like it is this guy's life is about to be just be immolated by the arrival of this kid from Minnesota. Yeah. It's like, it's as somebody that is, you know, watch this movie about this character, you're, you're upset for him. But as a Bob Dylan fan, I'm always excited whenever there's any mention of him. So it's like, sorry, Lewin, but I got to root for Bob with this one. Oh, it's just, and the, the, the Coens must have been in a really cranky mood that day when they that movie because <laughs> they just kicked the shit out of Llewellyn Davis for, oh God, for I know. two hours. This is so cool. And literally at the end, too. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Literally, he literally gets the shit kicked out of him. Uh, so, okay, let's talk about the song again. So he says, the third verse is, I will tell you of the laughter and of troubles, be them somebody else's or my own, with my hands in my pockets and my coat collar high. I will travel unnoticed and unknown. So it's fairly well. My own true love will meet another day, another time. And ain't the leaving that's a grieving me, but my true love is bound to stay behind. I love the line. Uh, I will travel unnoticed and unknown. Uh, I think that is just such a wonderfully lonely line. It just, you know, it's just so to me, it's really rings a bell of just this feeling of like, you're heading out and nobody really even cares kind of, you know, that you're out there. And of course, you know, Dylan wrote this in January of 63. He was already becoming a big deal. Um, Time was running out where he was going to be able to do anything like this. You know, basically when you think about it, like at a certain point, there is simply nothing he can do. That's not unknown anymore. 
He is, <laughs> he is, you know, his anonymity yeah. is just destroyed um, at a certain point, and it's never come back for 60 years. <laughs> it's never, you know, the guy can't do anything without somebody noticing it or taking a picture of it uh, somewhere. Um, but obviously, you said he was hitting the, the road, you know, in the early days. And do you feel like this song is, hmm, like some of his songs, I think, are him genuinely having experienced some of these emotions and that's what he's writing about. And then there's other times I think he's playing a character and mm-hmm. sometimes that comes off as just as genuine as the ones that are more lived in, but some of them are a little more of a pose than some other songs. Um, and so like, what do you, what do you think of this? Do you feel like this is in your mind, is this something he's personally lived through or is he kind of playing a character? Um, you know, it's kind of both because we do know that he, um, you know, managed to find his way from Minneapolis to New York. So he clearly relates to it on some level, even though I'm sure he would deny it. Um, he clearly has lived something like this where he's leaving everything he has and leaving it behind. But on the other hand, I do, we know he's always fascinated by this idea of like the ramblers, like Woody Guthrie, either leaving home. And I think he was kind of playing into that um, persona that he was trying to create of like Woody Guthrie almost. I think he was um, taking a lot of inspiration from his early folk inspirations. Mm -hmm. If I may ask, have you ever done something like that? Have you ever packed up and moved to to an unknown spot? Um, I wouldn't say kind of, I mean, I live in DC now, so (laughs) I can understand like, I mean, leaving Minnesota for, something that's very very different but i wouldn't say i did it as hastily as he did <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh my i have i've lived in the northeast my whole life it's not um it's not by intention it's just this is where i was <laughs> born and my family and my friends are here but man my fiance and i talk about how much we have just gotten sick of winter just done with winter oh. <laughs> we've, we've lived with winter I've, i'm sure for someone from minnesota this is nothing compared to what you probably had to live through but uh, yeah. but uh, we're tired of it. We're just tired of it. And we keep talking about moving to California or something just mm. to be warm all the time. And I will say, like, it's a hard uh, – and we work from home. So we could pack up and move if we wanted to and continue to have our jobs, We'd, you know. Uh, um, mm-hmm. But I will admit it's like a hard ask because I think about, well, I'd never see my friends again or hardly yeah. ever see them. Or and some of my family and because they're all along the East Coast, really, because that's the way it works. And it's even though I would be with my fiance, we'd be together. That's still I, just the thought of never seeing, like, or hardly ever seeing my in-laws, who I dearly love, or seeing my best friend, or seeing any of my close friends again. That's just like that just seems daunting. And yeah. and and that and this is in an era of Zoom and social media and all the th- you know. FaceTime and all the technology that we have. Uh, and here's yeah. 1961 skinny kid, Bob Dylan, <laughs> literally thumbing a ride and like, maybe he'll get to New York. Maybe not. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. that's enormous guts on this kid. Yeah, no, it was technology and, you know, texting social media has definitely been my saving grace, leaving behind my family and friends and everything. So I really don't know if I would have made the same decision. If this was, you know, early sixties where I had letters really to use. So it was definitely, very brave, I suppose, of Bob Dylan to just be willing to to try his to try his hand at a music career in New York. Yeah, I mean, good luck. I mean, he, he stole a lot of records from people, so oh, maybe yeah. it's better <laughs> to get the hell out of town. Um, so then, the final verse is: I've heard 
tell of a town where I might as well be bound. It's down around the old Mexican plains. They say that the people are all friendly there, and all they ask of you is your name. So it's fairly thee well, my own true love. We'll meet another day, another time. It ain't the leaving that's aggrieving me, but my true love is bound to stay behind. Now, as much as I love the uh, I will travel unnoticed and unknown, I really love uh, they say that the people are all friendly there, and all they ask of you is your name. Again, yeah. this is one of the rosiest Bob Dylan songs he's probably <laughs> ever recorded. I think that's such a a wonderfully warm turn of phrase that there's this great little place that uh, you know what a, a, a scruffy young stranger is going to be welcome there. I just, it's, it's just really beautiful. Yeah, and I also think it kind of like almost predicted how he wanted Bob Dylan wanted to get out of the spotlight as he became more successful where he's just um like you said earlier he just wants to um kind of leave behind his identity as bob dylan live relatively anonymously and here years before that was ever a concern for him he was talking about a place where all he asked of you is your name i think that was just really interesting yeah it's just it said it's it's really terrific and for all we know about bob he might even be doing that sometimes. We've heard <laughs> weird stories about the stuff he's able. He's able to travel relatively, and d- despite what I said earlier about how he can't do anything anonymously, he does seem to be able to travel sometimes and do things that other people of his yeah. fame level cannot do. Bruce Springsteen can't do this stuff. Mick Jagger, <laughs> although there was there was that photo a couple months ago of Mick Jagger at a bar, and nobody knew oh, to bother him. <laughs> there was that. So I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it's like it's Bob seems to be able to have that give off that aura of anonymity even though he's one of the most famous people on the planet but there's something about that vibe that he gives off and i always find that fascinating that there are some people who when they get famous they can kind of have the ability to turn it on and off Mm -hmm. Uh, and i've never been i mean obviously i've never been famous so i don't know what it's like but i that's fascinating to me that there are people who can just have that in their 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 makeup that they can sort of convey that thing of like hey come look at me and other people don't have that i always find that really fascinating yeah i always hear strange stories about bob dylan turning up in the most random of places (laughs) (laughs) i keep hoping you know one day i'll be in a 7-eleven at the middle of the night i'll be like holy shit there's the that's the tour bus. Oh my God. You know, but you know, uh, <laughs> odds of that are, are probably unlikely. So now this song, again, the, the version uh, that I've only, I'm only familiar with is the Whitmark demos one. And this the Whitmark demos was a thing where he was cranking out songs at such a prodigious rate um, that he, you know, it was like he would write, uh, he joked about, it, I would write three songs before breakfast and he didn't, he couldn't <laughs> wait to just sit and, and uh, until he was, um, sitting down for a, a record album to start being recorded. So he was, you know, demoing songs for Whitmark, which was this music publishing label. And a lot of really good stuff was put in there. And some of the stuff, again, some of it, obviously he felt worthy enough to try and include on an album. As I said, he worked on it, apparently at least one or two takes for times there were a change in, and then never went anywhere. And then when it came time to officially sort of demo it, then he rewrote it and uh, did it for Whitmark. But this song uh, was, I had not heard the, the first time I heard the song was not the Dylan version. Uh, I for I had never heard of the song until I had gotten a cassette. Now, Julia, you're very young. Cassettes were a <laughs> format that music used to come in. Um, they were tiny and they were really terrible and uh, very inconvenient. But uh, there was a um, a collection from Rhino Records in the '90s called "I Shall Be Unreleased." 
Mm. And it was put together by Eddie Gorodetsky, who, of course, is a close friend of Bob's, one of the producers on Theme Time Radio Hour. He was a writer on Dharma and Greg, which is how Bob ended up <laughs> showing up on Dharma and Greg. And it was all covers of Dylan songs, but Dylan songs that have never been released. So oh. it was all about, this is how extensive this guy's catalog is. You can, you can put together a whole collection of covers of songs that he never released. And you had Johnny Cash's mm-hmm. Wanted Man on there. And you had Joan Baez's Love is Just a Four-Letter Word. Uh, Manford Man's If You Gotta Go, Go Now. I wish I could stay all night. And the version of this song was by Dion, the 60s icon, Dion. And so I didn't know the Dylan version. I'd only known the Dion version. Now, I told you about it. I told you I was going to mention it mm-hmm. on the show. Have you had a chance to go out and listen to it? Um, I did listen to it. Yeah, I really liked it, actually. You did? Okay. Yeah. Now, it's very, very different than yeah. the Dylan version. I mean, the <laughs> Dylan version's acoustic, and the Dion one has got his full band bond of Dion and the Wanderers. Um, so, you know, what did you think of it as compared to the the very spare Dylan one? Um, I thought that it was very... I liked it a lot, but it was interesting how it was... how differently conveyed, because it was obviously the same lyrics, but Bob Dylan's version has this sense of... Um, I don't know how to describe it. Just this... I don't want to use the word melancholy again, but I keep coming back to that word. Um, it seems very, very nostalgic almost. Meanwhile, Dion's is very, it's more, I wouldn't say it's an upbeat song, but it has more of an, more of an upbeat tune to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't really convey that same sense of, um, of sadness or longing, but I wouldn't say that was a fault of it. It's just different. I absolutely agree with that assessment. Uh, but I will say, and I feel a little a little strange saying this on the Pod Dylan show, I like the Dion version better. Really? I, I, yeah. There's something, uh, again, he's backed up by his band, The Wanderers. The name of the album was called uh, Wonder Where I'm Bound, which is really, and the picture of him on the sleeve. They were, <laughs> obviously, his record company was trying really hard <laughs> to kind of get that sort of Dylan-esque uh, heat to it. <laughs> um, but um, I really... Maybe because the Dion version was the first one I heard, and maybe that's the one that mm-hmm. imprinted into my brain. But I went and listened to it again and, and for this recording, and I just love it. There's something uh, – I, I agree. It's not as melancholy, um, but there's just something so sweeping and mm-hmm. big about it, which, again, is yeah. the antithesis of the Dylan version. But I, I listened to it again, and I just got all caught up on it. And when he gets to the part about – I will travel and notice an unknown. And then the line about the town, they only want to know your name. I just, and then he, he hits up on the, when he does the choruses, I mm-hmm. just think it's so beautiful that I think if I had to say, if somebody had to pick one to listen to, I'd be like, I think I gotta go with the on. Really? That's you know, I, rare, but in this case, <laughs> yeah. I can understand that because usually, I mean, it's definitely a thing of bias, but usually I'm not a huge fan of Dylan covers because I'm just, I just wonder why would I listen to them when I can listen to the original. Right. So it's not often that I like them that much, but I really like Dion's version. So I can understand where somebody, why somebody would prefer that version to the original. Yeah. I really think he got, I really think he got it. And it, it was definitely my favorite. I mean, that whole, I shall be unreleased record. I don't, I assume it's out on CD or on, you know, streaming somewhere. If you, uh, anybody, if you've never heard it, go check it out. There's some really uh, interesting stuff on there. Again, the Johnny Cash version of Wanted Man is terrific. And, um, there's a lot of really, really, there's a cover of Pharaoh Angelina. Like it's some really obscure stuff mm-hmm. on there. Um, again, fitting the whole theme of it, but it's just, it's absolutely terrific. So yeah, I love the Dion version. 
Uh, I think it's great that the, the, again, I can listen to it again. It was just a real blast. And it just says something so amazing about the elasticity of his songs, Mm -hmm. of his tunes, that you could take something that Bob did just acoustically and then add so much production on it. And it still kind of holds together. I just think that's uh, absolutely amazing. Now, live wise, this has been performed once, (laughs) one time. February of 1963, <laughs> the basement of Gertie's Folk City. Uh, he was still uh, playing with, he was still playing a lot of the songs that he was just sort of working on on the sides. And this was one of the ones that was done. I've never heard this version. Maybe it's out there somewhere. Uh, but uh, yeah, this was it. So I think it's safe to say this will probably never be played live. I can't imagine Bob trying to pull this out on the Rough and Ratty Way store. But of course, it's Bob. You never, you never know. know with him. <laughs> never know. Um, so this song, you know, like another, like, like lots of other songs we talk about, he did it and left it behind and it's for other people to enjoy. And, uh, boy, howdy, I said, it's, it's a really terrific tune and it really captures Dylan in a, it, as you say, it's melancholy, but the, it's so warm hearted towards yeah. the people that he's talking about that, uh, I think it stands a little unique in his canon and that it is so, um, generous, uh, towards everybody that he's singing about. Mm-hmm. And going back to the live performance thing, there actually is recording of that one live performance and it's a really good, um, Oh, you've heard it. It's a really good performance it's on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Okay. Oh, how different is it from the, the studio versions about, I guess it was just him. So it's probably not terribly <laughs> different. It, it's pretty faithful to the original. Um, but it's really good. Oh, good. All right. We'll see. Yeah. He, uh, there you go. You know, he's, he's, he probably should have persevered with it. It's always amazing to me to think, what is it about, uh, in his head, why he decides to leave some stuff behind, you know, know. It's, I, so, ugh, it's really frustrating sometimes because sometimes the, cho- the choices he makes about what to include and not include, like, you know, I think this is the most common example of Joey on desire versus like abandoned love. It, mm. it really makes you want to just kind of like step into his mind and wonder what he's thinking. Sometimes it's sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way, but he just has so many songs that, any uh, any other artist would be thrilled to have on um, their albums, but he just plays them once live and throws them away. Yeah, yeah. I, that to me, uh, we again we've talked about this on other episodes uh, about like if you've ever had a chance to interview Bob, which again, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I you know I would just <laughs> melt into a puddle if I had that chance. But like, I think if I ever did, I would want to talk to him about being a songwriter. Like to, that to me, I think would be the most interesting for me, and I think would be the most interesting for him. Because he doesn't want to talk about, hey, Bob, let's talk about going electric in 1965. You know, <laughs> uh, um, but I would, and maybe he doesn't remember anymore because he's recorded what 800 songs at this point or whatever. But I would love to like pick his brain, like you're talking yeah. about, and saying, what was it about this song that you liked versus this song, this versus this, and not in a judgmental way, not in a, yeah. hey, you knucklehead, why didn't you leave? <laughs> why didn't Blind Willie McTell make Infidels? But just like, like say something like this like you obviously liked farewell enough to keep trying it, but then you left it behind. What, why, why was that? What was it not speaking to you? Is it, did you write something else that felt it conveyed more of what you were trying to say? I, that to me would be fascinating if going through a list and just saying, why this versus this, why that, like you're saying, abandoned love versus Joey, this versus Mm -hmm. this, that to me would be, that would make a scintillating interview. I I know. I think a lot of it is just, he likes to keep people on their toes. (laughs) So he'll take this song that, you know, is genius to everybody else and just be like, I think he likes to confuse his fans. 
<laughs> that's true. Any man who writes an autobiography uh, full full of parts that are completely made up, uh, <laughs> or or produce a uh, star in a documentary about a chunk of his life featuring fake people, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a guy that likes to just confuse his fans. So, uh, <laughs> farewell. It's a terrific song. Again, if you haven't uh, heard it, everybody check it out, and I definitely would recommend the Dion version on YouTube. I just think it's uh, it's terrific. So, well, Julia. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show to talk about this song. It's uh, just been a blast. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, of course, before we wrap up here, i got to ask you uh, the question, the exit question I've been asking everybody. Uh, what If there was one album that you could sit in on the sessions, uh, off in the corner, uh, what Dylan album would you want to sit in on? Hmm. I guess I would have to choose... The basement tapes, even though it's more of a compilation, I would love to see the because I love the band also, so I'd love to see their process of collaboration and just see you know the rapid fire way they're coming up with these you know great songs and i yeah, that would definitely be the most interesting to me. You would definitely get the longest period there because you'd probably yeah. get like two months. You really yeah, got to live there and stuff, so yeah, I would volunteer to walk the dog. He always talked about that there was a dog <laughs> on the floor. I'd be like. I'll just do that, guys. You guys just keep working. I'll go and I'll take care of the dog. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a terrific answer. Absolutely. So, well, uh, again, thank you so much for doing the show. I really do appreciate it. Again, we've been conversing on Twitter back and forth. And so it's great to finally uh, talk to you. Speaking of social media, uh, where can people find you out on the uh, internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter at eat the document with only one T between the E and the. Um, great handle. I- I will say, um, if you're looking for um, valuable insight into Bob Dylan and, you know, critical thinking about it, it's not the place. It's more of a stream of consciousness style meeting. <laughs> but, you know, maybe a different perspective. <laughs> I will say, I'm, when I, I'm going to say this, and I mean this in, 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 as a compliment. This is not a <laughs> knock in any way. But your tweets read like lines from Tarantula. <laughs> in that they often don't have punctuation. And they really do feel like a stream of cut. Like you just had a thought <laughs> and you just went to tweet. And there yes. it is. And there's absolutely oh, no buffer between what I'm thinking and what I, there's what no, I there's no context. There's no, you know, like, it'll just be like, da, 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 da. and I'm like, Oh, okay. That's <laughs> obviously what Julia's feeling while she's in line at the supermarket in this moment. All right. Super. And that, that's I'll, I'll just put a compliment. Yeah. It just, it reads like, tarantula. well, to me, it's much more interesting than tarantula, but it has that, slightly Dylan-esque 60s vibe to it. And I very much appreciate that. So, yeah. I'm, that's, glad to hear. Yeah. And again, the handle is great. That's a deep cut handle for yeah, Dylan fans. <laughs> you know, people are like, what the hell does he document? Oh, I see. So, uh, well, again, thank you so much for doing it. I, I Doing the show, I really do appreciate it. Um, of course, everybody, if you want to find all the back episodes of the show, go to our website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show in any podcatcher of your choice. And then if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, of which Pod Dylan is a part, please go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Bucky Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Superman's pal Henry Bernstein. So that's going to do it. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Yeah, you know, I was the first rock and roll artist signed to Columbia Records, which became right. Sony Records. And uh, Bob Dylan came up somewhere in the in that mix and uh, i was at like a lot of his early sessions you know and tom wilson produced both of us he, he produced uh myself ah, that and, makes perfect sense yeah he was in fact 
one day we met in the hallway and, <laughs> and and he said, what do you think if we, we go, we get, we get into the studio here and we, uh, we put a couple of guys on Maggie's farm. I just want to show Bob how it sounds. And I, I thought, nah, you can't do that. I thought Bob Dylan was a purist. I thought he would, you know, get it would aggravate him or something, you know. But right. we went in there uh, with some of the guys I used to use from the Apollo Theater and, uh, you know, all those great musicians. And they put up a couple of uh, Bob's acoustical stuff and they played on it just to let him hear it. The next gotcha. thing I know... They're in the set, you know, they're doing Highway 61. <laughs>